How many of you? I want, I want my double dippers to raise their hand. Yeah, I've been to church twice already. Okay, sweet. Hey, uh, welcome to Sunday nights. I'm super stoked that you're here. Um, I'm super happy to be worshiping the Lord with you and be studying the Word with you. So uh, for those of you who haven't been here before, there's a couple of you. Uh, Sunday nights, we're going through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in chronological order. It's a really cool study that's blessed me tremendously. And so right now, uh, we're at a period in Jesus' life where he's contending with a lot of the Pharisees at the moment. So if you turn to Mark chapter 3 with me. Mark chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Most of you? Yeah? Awesome. All of you. Very nice. How did Dane do last week? Yeah? I heard that there was like 40-something people here. Come on, guys. Let's get consistency. (laughs) All right, guys. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, Dane's right there. Don't say that too loud. He's right there. (laughs) Get out of here, Dane. Go cry. Oh, man. Okay. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. I need to pray before I get more in the flesh. Dear Lord, we love you so much, Father, and I thank you for all these people that uh, took time out of their Sunday evening, Lord. At the end of their day, Lord, they just want to be refreshed by your word, Lord, so I pray that you do just that. God, that you would refresh them in your presence tonight, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would come here, speak to us, interpret for us, and intercede on our behalf, Father. We love you so much, Father, and it is in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here we go. And he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, they being the Pharisees, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Jesus, on the Sabbath, once again, last, last time I taught on this uh, subject of the Sabbath, we taught that, that the Pharisees, they had uh, made up all these rules, right? They, they had made up these rules because God established a law, okay? And the law was holy. The law was holy because God had established it, but they had uh, gotten in this mixed up concept that rules are holy, that the law was holy in and of itself and not because God had established it. So, Their whole mentality was this. Their whole mentality is, if there's rules that are holy, then if we make more rules, then we will be more holy. That's false. They had uh, calloused their hearts because of all the rules. And and when we found out that on, on the Sabbath, they had made up so many different regulations, so many different laws. One of them being uh, women cannot look in the mirror on the Sabbath, fearing that they would see a gray hair and try to pluck it out, thus be uh, harvesting, farming. We found out that a man cannot uh, drag a chair across the room because if it turned up dirt, that would be plowing. And Jesus wants to completely obliterate this mindset that, that, that 
anything we do is because of works. Uh, that any favor that we receive from God is because of works. And Jesus is at this point where he's getting very frustrated with the Pharisees. He's getting very, very frustrated. Now, I don't get angry very often just, just because of the type of guy I am. Okay, I, 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 don't, I don't get angry often. Okay, I don't, I don't get uh, peeved very often. Uh, but but the, I, I, get, I get angry at certain specific things. Maybe some of you are, are, are the same way. Where you're not an angry person. You're not easily angered. But there's very specific things that, that will easily set your temper off. Uh, for me personally, it's, it's, uh, it's apathy. Like when, when people are very apathetic, uh, lacking in emotion towards God or lacking in emotion towards the things of God or, or, or lacking in emotion just in relationships, friendships, just that lack of emotion really, really bothers me. Okay, and, and, and so if I'm at a mission trip or, or if I'm somewhere and, and people show this lack of emotion, lack of drive, lack of fire, many times uh, in my heart, I, I will get very, uh, very angry. Uh, another thing that makes me, makes me angry is rudeness, when people are just rude for no apparent reason, right? Uh, I, I understand goofing off and I understand, you know, playing jokes and all that stuff, but when people are just like blatantly not considering others, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, perhaps some of this stuff uh, hits something with you, right? Strikes a chord with you. And so one thing, uh, another thing, uh, lack of concern, right? Sometimes that makes me a little angry, uh, regard or respect for other people. Many times, and, and that, and also picky eaters. <laughs> That's just something that's just like, it, it ticks me off a little bit because I love food so much. Like, I love food. And when somebody's like, no, I don't like it. Well, have you tried it? No, like that, that I'm like, I just get angry. I get furious because like food is like the most glorious thing that God has given us next to salvation. And, and it's, it's, it's like when people are like, nah, I don't want to try it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and so that and dubstep, like I just, I can't handle dubstep. Like it's, it's just not music to me. And so, yeah, there's just a few things, you know, that, that's a few things that, that, that get me a little angry, right? That, that spark a little anger inside of me. And, and, and looking at this whole concept, and I'm going to take off this mic because it is bothering me. I'm gonna... of, of what makes Jesus angry, right? Well, what makes Jesus angry? angry what what sets that little spark in Jesus well what sets off that little that little spark of anger because many times we don't like to think of Jesus as as an angry Jesus you know we we like the Abercrombie model Jesus on the billboards right you know we we like the Jesus that's good looking and 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 is always saying love and peace bro the hippie Jesus right I mean that that's the Jesus that is portrayed in, in modern Christianity, this, this Jesus that is, a, that is a wimp and has no convictions, but just says, hey, I love, bro. But, but there are certain things that, that really do set Jesus off. There's certain things that people do that really bother Jesus. And I think this is an important thing for us Christians to, to study about, right? I mean, to find out what our Savior, what, what bothers him, uh, what makes his heart sorrowful. Right, I, I, I believe that that's something that we as Christians should really know. What angers our Savior? What angers our Lord? You want to know what angers a king so you don't do it, right? 
what angers our Savior. And I, I believe Jesus is the same way where, where he's not a sweepingly angry Savior, right? He, he, he's so full of love and compassion and kindness, but there's certain things that, that set Jesus off a little bit. Righteous anger. Not, now, now, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. It is possible to be angry and not sin at the same time, right? And then Paul also says, do not let the sun set on your anger, meaning you're not supposed to be angry for a certain set of time, an extended period of time. But it is okay to be angry, and Jesus, in a few times in the Gospels, does get angry. And in John chapter 2, Jesus is furious when people use God's house of prayer as a den of thieves. So there's people genuinely wanting to come to the temple, wanting to come and worship God, wanting to come and make sacrifice to the Lord, wanting to come and pray to Jesus, wanting all of these things genuinely in their hearts, wanting to worship God. But there's these people, these religious leaders that are exploiting them, that are selling for sacrifice, that are telling them that in order to worship God properly, they have to pay this amount of money or they have to buy this specific thing. And Jesus gets furious. So furious that he makes a whip and he starts driving all the oxen out. He has a booming voice that says, it is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus, angry, furious, not sinning. It is a righteous anger. It is an anger that is only reserved for God to have, and he has it. He flips over the tables because there were people that were keeping the lost sheep from coming to their shepherd. That is what angers Jesus. We have here in Mark chapter 10, it says, Then they brought the little children to him that they might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But then Jesus saw it. He was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The disciples are saying, whoa, whoa, send those kids to the children's ministry. Well, I don't want anything to do. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with these kids. Send them to daycare. Send them to babysitting. We don't want anything to do with them. Jesus is too busy. And Jesus, being, ang- being grieved, being bothered, being annoyed by this, he says, no, 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 no. They get it. You don't. Jesus is always bothered by those who prevent people from coming to him. He is also bothered by people that create a circumstance for themselves where they're not able to come to him as well in the form of hardened hearts. It is the hardened heart that makes Jesus angry. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they are full of dead man's bones and uncleanliness. Jesus openly says to these Pharisees, You look great. I bet tons of people respect you. I bet you go, you go to church every single Sunday, sometimes twice every Sunday. You have all of this merit, all of this extensive doctrinal knowledge. You have all of this, but your hearts are so far from me. You're dead inside. You are dead inside. And that angers Jesus. Where they display something outwardly, but inwardly they're dying and they're okay with it. 
they're totally okay with it. Giving this outward appearance of, I, I've got it all put together. And then I'm going to tell other people how to live their life. But in their hearts, they're dead inside, disconnected from God. Jesus looks at those people and he says, you're in a place of leadership. You put on this persona like you have all of the answers and people follow you, but your heart is hardened. Your heart is not with me. And so you are leading these people astray. That angers Jesus because he is a shepherd. And he doesn't want anyone leading his sheep astray. There's a reoccurring theme throughout Jesus' ministry where he gets extremely bothered by religious leaders whose hearts are far from him. Notice that Jesus was never bothered by Nicodemus, who was an incredible religious leader. He was a Pharisee. But he was not bothered by Nicodemus. So, so we can't say that Jesus just hated all the Pharisees, right? Because he, he took special ear to Nicodemus, and he had a special heart for Nicodemus, because Nicodemus sat down and he said, tell me, show me, what's up? His heart desired God. And it is because, you know, with all these Pharisees, it's because they're the ones crippling the mission of Christ. They're the ones adamantly trying to keep God from giving his spirit to his people. They would rather, this man with the withered hand, this man with the deformed hand, they would rather him be deformed. They would rather him have a withered hand that he cannot use to work for his family. They would rather him have that than see Jesus perform a miracle because of their hardened hearts. They would rather be right than somebody else be saved. They would rather be right about a certain conviction, religious conviction that they have, all for the sake of them being right. They would rather be right than people being saved. And this is something that sometimes on small levels, sometimes on big levels, I struggle with. Am I willing to preach to those people that historically Christians have hated? Right? Am I willing to preach to somebody that historically, and, and as far as the church goes, have been denied? Are there certain people in my life that, that I have denied the gospel to, that I have not shared the gospel to them because I would rather see them suffer because they're my enemy? And so, I want to let you know that, that, that these Pharisees, their crime, and, 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 and the crime that we're going to get into, like the church of Galatia, their crime was not necessarily legalism. The, the, their crime was not necessarily having work-based theology, but, but letting them get to that point, letting them get to that point where it quenched the Spirit of God. It says in Galatians chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh, having you suffered, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, he does do it by the work, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Jesus Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying this. 
He's saying this, are your works, are your good works, are the good things that you do from God, for God, or is the Christian routine that you're getting in, is that inhibiting you from receiving the Holy Spirit? Are your traditions, are, are, are your convictions or rules that you've set up for yourself, the boundaries that you have set up for yourself, the bubble that you put yourself in, is that keeping you from truly being changed by the Holy Spirit? That's a question I have to ask myself in ministry sometimes where I put parameters around myself where I will only be friends with certain people. I only talk to certain people and I will only spend my time in certain places. But, but am I setting boundaries for myself? Calling it protection. But in reality, am I denying the spirit working through me in certain areas of my life? By not talking to the homosexual community in my college, am I protecting myself? Or am I hurting the mission to a people group that hasn't been reached? That's a question that I, I've asked myself this year as I go into my next semester in college. That's a question that I've, I've really had to wrestle with in my heart. Am I really protecting myself or am I being legalistic and, and, and hurting the spirit that wants to work through me? That's something that I really have to wrestle with. And it's different things for every people. There's some coworkers that you have said, I will not talk to them because of the type of person that they are. But sometimes what we are actually saying is that I am too afraid for the spirit to work through me because it's unpredictable for me. And so we see that an unresponsiveness to God's spirit is usually the source of our failures in our Christian walk. We love to read the Bible and we, you know, we, we love to come to church and we have our little Christian routine. But, but many times it's the denying of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's denying God to really take the wheel that leads to valleys in our Christian walk. And it's all because and caused by a hardened heart, just like these Pharisees. The cause of God was quenched because of the legalistic mindset of these Pharisees. This, this, this mindset where we set parameters for ourselves. You are all outsiders. This is our bubble. Do not invade our territory or you will be torn apart. But God. No matter how righteous these people looked on the outside, no matter how righteous I look on the outside, because let's face it, we can make ourselves look pretty, right? We can make ourselves look pretty. We can, make our, we can adorn ourselves in the greatest Christian books, Christian t-shirts. We can go to this church twice, three times a day. And we, we can create a persona for ourselves where people look at them. They say, they got it figured out. But in reality... Many times, our hearts are far from God. And when, when, when I really think about this concept of the heart and, and what type of heart does God desire, I think of the one who is called a man after God's own heart, which is David, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we learn about Saul. You see, God uh, 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 put Saul in this position of authority. 
You see, the people wanted a king. God said, I'm supposed to be your king. You want a king, though? Okay. They, they appointed Saul. The people appointed Saul. He was good looking. He was tall. He was a good warrior. He had all the criteria for a good king. He was charismatic, good with people, good looking, good warrior, good soldier, good everything. He had all of the criteria that man could ever want for a good king, a great king. And so Saul was put in this position of authority. God said, I want you to go to the Amalekites. I want you to obliterate them because they are enemies of my people. They pose a threat to my people. They pose a threat to my sheep. They are bad. I need you to take them out. I need you to just wipe them away. Don't take captives. Don't take ox. Don't, don't, don't take any of the animals or the livestock or the gold. Just take them out. And Saul goes into the battle. He has this epic victory against the Amalekites. And what does he do? Everyone's screaming, Saul, 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 Saul. He looks so good right now because of what God has done for him. It's God's victory. And what does Saul do? He lets all the people take the gold and the ox and the sheep. He takes the king captive and he parades him on the city streets. He ties the king up and he he lets everybody look at the great victory that Saul has. And Samuel, the prophet Samuel, he goes into the palace room of King Saul and he says, what do I hear right now? What am I hearing? I hear goats, I hear sheep, I hear ox. Explain yourself to me, Saul. And Saul says, well, well, the people, the people, they, they wanted all of these things. They, they wanted us to take captives. And look, hey, hey, we got all these sheep, we got these ox. I've already set a bunch apart so we can make sacrifices to the Lord and we can thank him for our victory. And Saul's pumped. He's like, look, look, God gave us this victory. And I've taken, I know he said not to take any, but I've taken all of it for him. I've done all these things for God. It's just a coincidence that it makes me look awesome. I mean, as long as it's for God, who cares if I'm elevated up here, right? As long as God is just a little notch above me. Or maybe my equal. The problem was that Saul was glorified alongside God. Outwardly, Saul looked awesome. Best king there was. Amazing victory. Samuel, he says, you know, Saul's making this statement. He's like, hey, yeah, we're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. We have an altar all set up. We're going to worship God. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. You know, we're going to go in. And then Samuel says, be quiet. In other words, shut up. He stops him, right? Shut up. Be quiet. This is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. He he just says, stop. Shut up. I'm going to tell you what God says right now. Okay? And Saul's like, speak on. You know, you ever have an old person yell at you, you know? Like an old, experienced, wise, veteran uh, Christian, you know? I've had, a, had it's happened once in my life where I've just had an old, uh, seasoned Christian veteran just lay it into me. I'm like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen, okay? I would rather go to war, okay, than, than, than this guy talk to me this way, all right? And, 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 so, and so, so Saul, this huge, you know, six foot four, tan, you know, huge, buff, handsome, okay? He, this, this old prophet just says, shut up. And he's like, okay. And this is, what, this is what Samuel said. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? 
And did you, not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord has sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? He says, Saul, when you are a nobody, God anointed you. When you were little in your own eyes, when your righteousness was nowhere near compared to God's righteousness, that's when God used you. Now you've disobeyed God. You've elevated. We, we learned about this a couple weeks ago. He had elevated his righteousness above God's righteousness. You can't have both. The goal of the Christian life is not to do, but to die. In other words, Samuel's saying, when you were nobody, when you didn't think anything of yourself, God was on it, man. God could use you. God can use a man like that. With a heart that is, that is pure. With a heart that is meek. And Samuel continues on in verse 22. He says, has the, Lord, uh, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than to fatten the fat of rams. He's saying, I don't care what you do, Saul. God doesn't care what you do. He does not care about what you do, but if you don't obey him, it means nothing. Your sacrifice, your suffering, your battle, it is pointless if your heart is not in the right place. If your heart is far from God, what use are you? God looks at the heart every single time then Samuel goes on you know later on in the chapter to take the king that Saul had taken captive and he says you have made so many women childless and I'm gonna make your mother childless and this old like 90 year old prophet chops this king into pieces because it's all about God's righteousness not man's righteousness Then we get to David. Was David perfect? By no means. We see David's life and he is nowhere near perfect. But we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, Samuel is mourning Saul because Samuel had really come alongside Saul. Okay, he had discipled Saul. He, he had raised him up as king and he had done his best to mentor Saul in the ways of God. And, and what had happened is now it's all taken away. God said, I'm taking my, his kingdom away from him. I'm giving it to someone else. And, 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 and God comes to Samuel and he's like, snap out of it, bro. I've got it. Okay, that's how God talks in my mind. Okay, snap out of it, bro. Okay, I, I, I've got you. Okay, I have got you. I have somebody else in mind. So God leads Samuel to Jesse's house. He's like, go to my brother Jesse's house. He's got a bunch of sons. And one of them's going to be king. One of them's going to be king. And David, we all know, is going to be king. But that's not how Samuel saw it at first. He says, so, so it was that when he came, he looked at Eliab, who was the oldest. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this is the Lord's anointed one. He looks at the guy who's the oldest. He's tall, tan and handsome, just like Saul. He looks at this guy and he's like, this guy's king material. He's got soldier written all over him. 
Surely this one must be the one. And, and God says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees for Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, many times when we look at other Christians, when, when we look at people, you know, we, we always judge them by, by their appearance. And I don't just mean physical, you know, their good looks, but, but, but kind of the, the habits that they keep, right? And, and the things that they do in church, you know, how often are they serving? And, and we're looking at this, and, and many times we see people that, that, that seem so holy, but, but very often... More often than I, than I realized before a couple weeks ago, that very often uh, those people, sometimes their hearts can be very far from the Lord. It's very rare in this church, however. We have a, we have a bunch of servants. But, but, but many times, some of the people that look like the best Christians that you, you, you know, if, like, if there was a rating, you'd be a 10 on the Christian level, right? Five-star Christian. Many times their hearts are far from God. And, and we see this. The Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel goes, this, no, 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 no. And he's like, Jesse, what's up? Do you have any other sons? And he's like, yeah, I got this ruddy little redhead. You know, he's not very, he's not very useful, okay? You know, I really, you know, but, you know, I, I have him tend the sheep, and he does a pretty good job doing that, you know. And Samuel says, well, well bring him here. You know, what are you doing, fool? And so, so he brings, and he sees David, and God's like, bam, that's my chosen one. That's my chosen one right there. And every, every, if you were to see David, you'd be, be like, why? How on earth is this kid supposed to be king of Israel? Greater than Saul? Yeah, right. Saul could squash that boy. It's all about the heart, though. And I've been really struggling with this this week. It's all about the heart. I went to Gleanings for the Hungry this week. I've been there so many times. And, and I went there. I'm like, ah, oh, seasoned Gleanings veteran. I'm just going to get the job done. I'm going to serve the Lord. It's going to be awesome, right? And I come, and, you know, a couple days roll by, and some of the kids start to complain, you know? And then that, you know, for a youth leader, that's just, it's icky, you know? Like, when, when the kids start complaining, you just get discouraged, you know? You feel like you've done a bad job as a youth leader, you know, just if, if they're not serving with gladness, you know. And so I started to get really discouraged and I started to just get really bitter. And, and, and in my mind, in my mind, I'm like, okay, the solution, the solution to this bitterness, the solution to this is just, I just got to work harder and I got to show them. I got to show them what serving the Lord is like. And so I work twice as hard. I'm doing all this stuff. And, and, you know, Will and I, we were back. We were doing one of the hardest jobs that there is there. And, you know, we're calling shots. We're saying, put these on here. Do this over here. And we're doing all of this stuff for Jesus. And my heart is hardened the entire time. I'm just I'll show those kids what it's like to serve. I'll show them. They're going to see the best youth leader they've ever seen. Dang it. <laughs> my heart was hard and then something happened very specifically because there was another church with us and it was a very special church it was a Korean church and they had a special needs program and they had brought they had brought 20 something special needs kids down syndrome, deformed, withered hands not even joking, withered hands 
Right, all, all these all these mentally handicapped kids. And I'm doing all my work. I'm sweating like a pig, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm doing all this crazy work for Jesus. And, and then I look, and then I look, and there's this kid with Down syndrome. And I see him with a little bucket, and he picks up a piece of trash, and he puts it in the bucket, and he picks it up, and he picks another one up, and he puts it in the bucket. And I look at him, and he's so joyful while he's serving. He has a smile on his face. He's saying hi to everyone. And he comes up and he asks me if I need any help. Even though this Down syndrome kid, he can only work for two hours tops a day. And here we are working eight and nine hours a day and we're just, we're banging it out. This Down syndrome kid, he can only work tops two hours, 30 minutes at a time. He could not do anything that I was doing. He was not mentally capable, physically capable of doing what this fine specimen was able to do. However, God showed me specifically He said, look at that kid right there. I am more pleased with him than with you. I am way more pleased with him and what he's doing right now. Because your heart is hardened. And his heart is close to me. You are capable of doing way more than him. But I don't care about the quantity of work. If the quality of your heart is suffering, I don't care. I don't care. I think C.S. Lewis said it best. The religious man, the religious prick is what he said. That's what he said. C.S. Lewis, he said, the religious prick goes to church every Sunday and volunteers may be far nearer to hell than the prostitute. Because God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. He doesn't care what you do. It's all about the heart. And David demonstrated that heart when he stood face to face with Goliath. And he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. This guy who was three times his size, benched like four of David. Okay. This dude was jacked. He was 10 feet tall, had been a soldier since his youth. And David comes up to him, this little ruddy little shepherd boy, comes with his slingshot and says, I'm going to kill you in the name of Jesus. David demonstrated that heart. He demonstrated the heart of a shepherd, which is the heart that Jesus looks for in his Christians. The heart of a shepherd. I have a question for you. Did Goliath pose any threat to God? Did he? Give me an answer. No. Goliath posed zero threat to God. Zero threat to his sovereignty. Zero threat to the authority of his word. Zero threat to God's power. If God wanted to do so, he could have struck him dead right there. Goliath posed zero threat to God himself. Who did Goliath pose a threat to though? His people. Goliath didn't pose a threat to God. He posed a threat to God's children. God's people. God's sheep. 
He was a threat to God's people, his children, his sheep. And God saw fit that the boy to protect his sheep would be the shepherd who stood up against a lion and said, you won't touch my sheep. You see, because that's what David was. He was a shepherd. And if one lion came up and tried to take one of his sheep, David went up and he killed that lion. If David was willing to face a ferocious beast, all for one measly little sheep, then God knew that he was going to face against a giant for his people. That's the heart God desires. The heart that trusts God. The heart that has a withered hand. But when God says extend it, and you think it's not physically possible, you trust God at his word and you extend that hand. God is angry at a hardened heart, but he loves the one with the withered hand. Jesus says to the same Pharisees, there is no way your rules are going to keep me from helping and caring for my sheep. That's why he says, is it lawful to do good to save a life on the Sabbath? Is that okay with you? Is it okay that I do God's will on God's day? Jesus says, there's no way you Pharisees are going to keep me from loving my sheep. And anyone who tries to keep me from loving my sheep, I will take you out. I told you the story about that kid with Down syndrome. and I'm telling you, it wrecked me. It obliterated me. And, and, so, and so after that, I'm like, okay, heart change right now, heart change. I pray, uh, God, break me. And do you know what? God, don't only break me and give me a better attitude, but God, I, I want to I bring somebody to Jesus this week. And, and, and the last night, when I had finally just, my, my heart, God had been softening it through some of my friends that I had been talking to and the scripture that I had been reading. God was molding. He was softening my heart because finally I was letting him. He was molding my heart. He was letting me, he was, he was, he was softening it. I was letting him soften my heart. And, and finally, finally, the last night, the last night, one of the kids from our group came up to me and he says, Zach, I haven't told anyone this. And some of you are going to try to, you know, guess who it is, but don't. Zach, I haven't told anybody this, but I've tried to commit suicide twice. I'm just so sick and tired of trying to please my parents, trying to please my friends, when all they ever do is reject me. He says, I have tried to kill myself twice. And I have only told one other person, and, he, and, and that's my dad. And he just thought I was trying to get attention. And he shoved me off. Zach, I feel alone. Nobody's pleased with me. I can't please anyone. I can't, I can't be friends with anyone. I have nobody. My friends look at me like I'm a freak, and I, I, I just feel alone, and I feel sad. And he's like, and I go to church and I hate it. He says, I hate going to church. I've been going to church every single day, every single Sunday. Ever since I was born, my parents have been taking me to church. And I have hated every single one. 
I act like I like it because I, I try to be, I try to make friends. But I don't like going to church. It's boring. People tell me what to do. I don't like it. And then I got to tell him, I said, bro, you try to commit suicide twice? And it didn't work twice? I said, yeah, I did my research too. It should have worked. I said, sounds like somebody wants you to live. Sounds like somebody wants to be your friend, bro. Sounds like somebody wants to accept you. It sounds like somebody wants to have a relationship with you. It sounds like somebody wants to be in your heart. It looks like somebody wants to take that hate for God's church and turn it and swap it into somebody who will defend God's church. And this kid, he accepted Christ right there. He softened his heart. This kid who came with a hardened heart and has had a hardened heart his entire life was now saved and set free, weeping because of the redemptive power of God's work. Now that's what God has a heart for. Not the Pharisee who who sits in the back of church and is judging the pastor, judging the worship quality and saying, what do you got for me? But, But Jesus, notice how the Pharisees knew. The Pharisees knew that Jesus would go and heal that man. You guys realize that? It says that Jesus was teaching in Luke's gospel. It says that Jesus was teaching in this instance in the synagogue. Jesus was teaching and they were watching him the entire time. Waiting for him to heal. Because they knew. They knew that Jesus would always go to the person who had the most need. They knew that Jesus would always go to that one man. That one woman who had the most need in the group. That that's where Jesus' heart was for. For the sheep that was hurting. For the sheep that was going astray. Many times we think that the people that get the most attention from God, the people that, 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 that God wants to pursue the most, many times we think it's the people that keep performing and keep doing all these great things. And God loves those people and he uses those people, but he uses those people to reach the broken people. God's heart is for the broken. God's heart is for the drug addicts. Drugs, God's heart is for the drug addicts, the homeless, the hurting. And God's not pleased with your works unless you're using them to reach those people. That's where God's heart is. Many times I, I, I do all these good works just to get in good standing with God. And God's like, dude, I already accepted you, bro. I, I, I died for you. I, I died for all your sins. I, I was literally crucified for you. If everyone else was saved and only you were sinning, I, I would have died specifically for you. I did that. But now I'm empowering you by my Holy Spirit to reach the people that are broken still. So don't do these works in order to get good standing with me because I've already accepted you. Zach, I already love you, but there's people broken there, and I want them. Help me get them. I don't need you, but I want to use you. And so, I guess what I'm getting at is that in Psalm 51, here, 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 Psalm 51, verse 16 through 17, it says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Meaning, God loves the broken heart. 
God loves the heart that will break for him, that will confess to him, that will be contrite and molded. I'm so sick of trying to be good for the sake of being good. I mean, God's already accepted me. What, what do I need to do to be accepted by him? So now everything I do for him is for the cause of his kingdom and for his heart. And his heart is for the withered hands. That's his heart. His heart is for the withered hands. His heart is for the people that can't in and of themselves worship God. Because they haven't touched Jesus. What is God's heart? What is God's desire from us? And, and I'll close with this. When Peter had denied Jesus three times, he was distraught. And Jesus was dead. He's like, I'm going fishing. And then finally, he sees Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and he's having breakfast with him. And, and it says, so when they have eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, I know that I, you know that I love you. And then he said, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And, and he said to them, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so uh, what, what I love is that Jesus started with the heart. He didn't start with, hey, hey, Peter. I'm about to leave. Tend my sheep while I'm gone. Take care of my sheep while, while, while I go on vacation, right? He, he didn't say, hey, hey, tend my sheep. He didn't say, hey, feed my lambs. He said this. He said, do you love me? It all starts with the heart, right? It all starts with the heart. Jesus brought up this man and said, this is a human being. Church is not about messages, music, food, or anything like that. It, it, it's about all of us coming with withered hands. Hands unable to worship without the God that made them. It's not about, ah, oh, that's awesome, worship. Oh, yes, yeah, the great, great message. It's not about a Sunday routine. It's about reaching the lost, right? And God has given me the privilege of unwithering my hands, so to speak, because of what he's done for me on the cross. How many of us would spend $500 on our dog or cat's medical bill, but wouldn't buy coffee for a homeless man? How many of us would spend so much money on our pets, but wouldn't buy a granola bar for a woman that's starving? Right next to 7-Eleven. They sit there. Just recently, God's like, what are you doing, dude? They're hungry. And they need Jesus. How much money do you spend on yourself? Like food that you don't even need. I've got a box of like these, these snickerdoodles in my room that I haven't even opened yet. I have like Fresca cans all over the place. I don't need that. And God's like, what are you doing? They're right there. Those are the people I want. That's why you're here. Reach the lost. Reach the people with withered hands. They are unable. Give them Jesus. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as a whole 
as whole as the other. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And tonight, let's lift up withered hands, right? We all have them. We all have these vices. We all have these skeletons in the closet. We all have these sins that we struggle with. And many times, rather than confessing them to God, many times, rather than confessing our sins to God and really repenting and really working on our heart, we just try to do more. We just try to do more. And God says, just stretch out your hand and let me heal you. And so, if I were to leave you with two things... I know I've, I've gone on many tangents and it's been a long, longer teaching than we're used to. Two things. Love the sheep and soften your hearts. That's it. Love the sheep, soften your hearts. Love God's people. Pursue the stray sheep and soften your hearts as you worship. Lift up your withered hands in Jesus' name. And as we take communion tonight, we take communion every Sunday night, just as a part of our worship, just to remember the body that was shed so that we can do these works in his name. And the blood, which is his covenant, where, where he's basically saying, I'm going to die so I can marry you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die so you can be my bride. How, what type of pro- wedding proposal is that? That's an amazing marriage proposal. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to go away for a while, but remember, this is, this is your engagement ring. I'm going to come back for you. This is my covenant. Take and drink of it. I'm not going to break it. So tonight, as, as we go into an extended period of worship, let's soften our hearts and lift up withered hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we love you. We praise you for all that you are, all that you've done, and all that you will do in our lives, Lord. Help us reach the lost, Lord. Your heart is for the broken, Lord. And God, I pray that we'd come to you broken tonight. We'd come to you utterly broken, recognizing there's nothing in our flesh dwells no good thing. So, Lord, I pray as we take communion, Lord, at our, at our own leisure, Lord, not, not corporately. but I, I just pray that we remember your sacrifice and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.